Today we're here at the Career Pro podcast with Jeff Davidson, the work-life balance expert. Jeff, today we're going to talk about traits of high achievers. What's on the menu? High achievers are a little different than the rest of us, but the great news is that we can emulate the same behaviors, characteristics that they perpetually exhibit and thus increase our capability for continual high achievement. So I'm going to lay this out as simply as possible in the form of tips. What do high achievers do that maybe everybody else does not do as much or as well or doesn't do it all? First is that high achievers trust their instincts. This is a big hurdle. A lot of people will allow themselves to be talked out of what they fundamentally believe or think ought to be the path that they're going to, that they should take. They'll read an article, they'll talk to a friend, they'll see something in the news and they'll say, well, no, I don't know. But the high achievers, they glom on to a vision, they respond to their gut instincts, they've got a feeling that they pursue, and sometimes, to the amazement of the world, they are so right, they are so correct, that they make a fortune, or they achieve that breakthrough, or they do something that hasn't happened in humanity before, or maybe just on a local level, they become a highly successful entrepreneur, a person in the community who's looked up to. Why? It all comes back to trusting that inner sense, that inner message that we get on occasion. And you know what? John, everybody gets these all the time. And over the years, we start ignoring them. We say, mm -hmm. no, I got to take care of this. No, I've got to go over here and do this. No, there's not going to be enough time. No, I'm not the right person. No, I'm too old. No, I'm too young. No, I'm too something. <laughs> you can come up with a million excuses. <clears throat> but the high achievers that I've known, that you've known, that we've read about, they follow their hunch. On the heels of that, tip two if you want to call it, they treat ideas, good ideas, as the late Earl Nightingale used to say, like slippery fish. So what do we mean by that? If you get a good idea, you want to write it down, you want to record it, you want to put it on your screen, you want to be able to get back to that idea. So even if you can't deal with it now, can't work with it now, can't explore it, can't take it any further, you've marked it, you've noted it, and when you're ready, you'll come back and you'll explore the possibilities. But, but, here's the slippery fish part. If you have an, an idea, and it's a good one, and you don't mark it down, you're bopping down the street, or you're in your office, or wherever you happen to be, like a slippery fish, that idea may leave your consciousness, and you might not ever get it back. I talked to someone yesterday, Jeff, and I said, 
I was describing a conversation we recently had you, where you said, and it's, maybe it's known, thoughts are things, take them seriously. And I was expressing that because these dissipating thoughts, these things that we don't write down, these kind of memoirs, uh, you know, are valuable. And you've even told me, as prolific an author as you are, there's still many ideas and many thoughts, many things that you are still on the cutting room floor or on the table that you have, but you haven't used. People are like, a guy who's written 68 books, you, you, are you out of ideas? Not even close. Exactly. So, if they are slippery fish, if great ideas are slippery fish, what can you do to align your life and your career in such a manner that you won't let any of these get away? Well, I have turned to pocket dictators. These things are light, couple ounces, fit anywhere on your bod, any pants pocket, back pocket, vest pocket, you name it. You click it on, you click it off, they don't lose an idea for you. It only takes about mm, three, four minutes to master all of the functions of these things. Sony makes them, Olympus makes them, there's lots of good vendors out there. They can be purchased inexpensively. These aren't even $30, $40. You go to yard sales, you go to tag sales, people are routinely selling these for five because they bought them and then they don't use them. If Pocket dictators are not your thing. Okay, use the recording capabilities of your cell phone. Use pen and paper. Use post-it pad. Use anything you have, but do not let the idea get away. The high achievers know the value of recording and retaining their thoughts. Now, later, Absolutely, you can cross it off. You can say, no, I'm not going to pursue this. Later, you can make an evaluation. But capture those ideas when they come, and then you be the one who decides. Don't capture them. Lose them. They're gone. You don't know if they're coming back. Awesome. Right. What's next? Number three, possess the courage to act. So. You trust your instincts, you capture your great ideas, and let's face it, some of these merit you pursuing them. Not all of them, clearly, and maybe not even the majority, but are you going to take the action required to turn this thought, this intuition, this inkling into a reality? And what What's involved in terms of the courage? Well, it might be stepping away from what you've been doing. It might be acting ways that you've never done before that may ruffle the feathers of coworkers, bosses, family, friends, whomever. It may be embarking on a trail where you're a little bit of a novice, you're a little bit concerned, you're a little weary, you're not sure of your steps. All of this requires a form of courage. You may have to outlay money. You may have to expend resources. You may have to consume something that you were saving for something else. All takes courage if you're gonna pursue 
this idea. And uh, not everybody has the courage to act. I've been guilty of this. You've been guilty of this. Everybody we know has been guilty of this. We have had thoughts and inclinations over the years that we did not pursue, and then later somebody else does it, and you know what? We think to ourselves, gosh, if I had only proceeded on that. Well, you didn't. They did. Move on. Act on the next one. Question, is it ever too late to start this mindset? Because people, ah, you know, I've gotten to a point now, and you know, with the life gets in the way. Is there an age to this? Or can this be done at any time, really? Well, given that we have people running for president in their late 70s, and within another decade, it'll be in their 80s, I'd have to say no, it's probably never too late. However, there are some endeavors where if you wait till you're 50, 60, 70, 80, you may not have the drive, the stamina, the energy, the resolve that you could have had at 30 or 40. So yeah, it, it's possible it could be too late. Absolutely. But start it. You can do these things now as part of the message. Acting is almost always a good idea. You can bail out if it looks early on as if this is going to not come to any kind of conclusion that is um, to your liking. But if you don't start, well, you know, you have a, a zero chance of, of succeeding. Fourth, on the hit parade of high achievement, what do high achievers do that maybe the rest of us don't do as frequently and as well? Is they take calculated risks. So along with the courage to act, you're probably taking some kind of risk, whether it's the outlay of money, time, resources, whether it's delaying something else, whether it's disappointing somebody else, whether it's not meeting somebody else's expectations. Those are all forms of risk. Maybe the risk of being rejected. Maybe the risk of looking like a fool. Maybe the risk of having um, a downtime where there's months and months where it appears to everybody else as if nothing is happening. You're not, you're not moving forward. But we both know that a lot of the utter, utter successes in this world, uh, we could take Amazon for example, there were years and years where Amazon was a losing entity. They were losing money like nobody's business and then they turned the corner and then, oh my goodness. So calculated risks, part of the equation. Number five. Harness your passion as a driving force. So what are a person's passions? Your passion might be democracy, or it might be cleaning up the environment. It might be serving constituents in a particular way. It might be creating a, a vacation spot that everyone will want to go to. It might be creating a taste sensation, some new food, some new concoction, something that people eat or drink, what have you. When you harness your passion as the driving force, <clears throat> your energy increases almost 
instantaneously. You've heard this stuff about if you do the job, if you do the work that you love, you never have to work another day. I don't completely agree with that because work is work. Mm -hmm. But if you're working on something that you do enjoy, all other things being considered, compared to other people who are in the nine to five or eight to five world and punching a clock, getting a paycheck, counting the time till their vacation at the end of the year, counting the time till their retirement and so on, you're going to have more energy. If you're pursuing something that is intrinsic to you, this drives me. I love this. I want to see this happen. I can envision it. So in my own case as an author, what do I do when I'm in the middle of writing a 300 page book and I'm only on the fourth chapter and I have 16 more chapters <laughs> to go and the book is due in three months, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I envision what the book will look like when it's done and how I will feel when it's done and how others who buy it and read it will benefit when it's done. And so by harnessing that kind of passion, even though I'm only on chapter three and I've got all these other chapters to go, I can get through them because I know there's an end. I know that I'm going to have a wonderful time the moment that is done. And I know it's coming. And it's the same thing in career counseling. When you help somebody to land their position or help them to start a new venture that they were contemplating, and during the interim, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know, this person seems to be waffling. Are they going to really make it? But you keep them going and then bingo, they cross the finish line and you're reinforced for what you do. You're looking for the next person you can help and so on. And so it is with almost everybody out there. doesn't matter what your endeavor is, what your field is. When you harness the passion, you become almost instantaneously a higher energy person and you increase the probability that you will be a high achiever. All right, brings us to, what do we got here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> Regard people as the common denominator. A lot of words in that, but what it means is this. Almost everything that we want to achieve in this world requires working with others, being involved with other people in some way. Even in the case of writing a book where you're alone for most of the project, you're still going to have to work with an editor. You're still going to have to work with people that produce the cover and the layout and all that stuff. You're probably going to have to work with proofreaders. You're probably going to have to work with marketing people and so on. If you're an entrepreneur working alone, eventually you're going to have to have clients, customers, or constituents. You're going to probably have staff. You're going to have vendors, suppliers. You're going to have a partner in Uncle Sam because you're paying taxes. You're going to have to have perhaps some accounting help, some financial help, and so forth. So in other words, whatever the endeavor is, from the largest corporations and organizations in the world that have you know, multi-thousands of people involved to solo entrepreneurs, you're going to have 
working with other people as a common denominator. And the high achievers get good at this. Mm. Some are good at the outset, some learn. They shore up their strengths by bringing in the talent that they need. They don't try to reinvent themselves necessarily. If you're not good at you know, putting up your own website, don't waste hours, days, weeks, and months. Just get somebody, come in, and have them help you. You focus on what you're good at. All right, so seven is people as common denominators, and tip eight, if you will, is to synergize with others. By now, everybody knows that synergy, uh, very quickly defined, is when one and one equals more than two. <laughs> All right? And so you work with people, especially those who understand your vision, who understand your passion, and end up serving as multipliers to what you're trying to achieve. There are people you can bring in who can not only save you time and money and effort, they can actually give you a slingshot effect because they can tell you about things that you didn't even know were available. One of the things I do with the uh, young people I work with is I continually ask them, what new software, what apps, what capabilities are out there that could help what I'm trying to achieve that I don't even know about. Now I have to wait until they understand my business a little. They're not gonna be able to tell me on the first day. But after they've been with me for a while and they see what I do and what I'm trying to accomplish, they're gonna know things for which I would never get to in the rest of my life because that's just the way the world has unfolded. Technology comes fast. The younger people today were born into it. For them, it has always existed. And for them, it's the way of the world. It's, it's just natural that there are apps. So synergize with others because you have no idea what can happen when you bring in somebody and are exposed to their world and their insights and their knowledge, their ways of doing things. All right, brings us to engaging the brilliance of resilience. That's a good one. Yes, it is. Now, what does resilience mean to you? Toughness, uh, being able to take pressure uh, a hit re and recover or respond without being depleted. There you go. Taking a hit and being able to respond. Many people have called resilience the ability to bounce back from a setback. Uh, my friend Willie Jolly wrote a book years ago with maybe the most wonderful title that I've heard in this area. He said, a setback is a setup for a comeback. Don't you love that? Love it. So, resilience means, for our purposes, along the path to achievement, there are going to be roadblocks, stumbling blocks, hurdles, downtime, things that go wrong. 
Are you going to let that derail you or are you going to say, all right, how am I going to leap over this one? And by and by, what you do is you develop this rigor, if you will, that says, I'm getting to the finish line. I don't care who's on the field trying to tackle me. I'm breaking through. All right. So the high achievers, in one way or another, kind of anticipate that there are going to be roadblocks. They may not know exactly what they are. They may not be able to articulate them, but they don't necessarily proceed as if it's going to be smooth sailing because that isn't realistic. No. All right, so the brilliance of resilience says essentially when these things come up, you apply many of the same things we've already been talking about, trusting your instincts, possessing the, possessing the courage to act, harnessing, harnessing your passion, etc., and you use the other characteristics and traits to blast past whatever is in your way. That leads us to another tip, if you will. This would be 10 if you're counting. Whereas you view setbacks as temporary phenomena. It's how you view them. How you view them. It's a setback. It's large. I could let it stop me cold. I could crawl off into the corner and say, oh, gosh, why me? Why now? Why this? Or I can say, hey, this is going to pass. I faced stuff bigger than this before. I'll face this too. And you get past it. You got it. Otherwise, gosh, half the high achievers in this world we could name, you wouldn't know their names. No. They get past it. All right. On our way to the end here. 11 would be to stay in a constant learning mode. The high achievers I know, they're always reading the latest and greatest books on entrepreneurism, on achievement, on success. They're reading the articles, they're reading the websites. They don't coast. They read, they read, they hang out with others like this, they talk to people. So they're always in this learning mode. And they don't overwhelm themselves with new material. They take it in on the fly as they can. And then sometimes they reserve, you know, a whole weekend for reading or, you know, half a day, what have you. But they stay in this mode. They recognize that life itself is one huge university, one huge educational think tank, and even to the last year of their lives, they're still learning. They're still in this learning mode. They like it, it, in, it invigorates them, and they can apply so often the things that they've newly taken in. So that's a constant reinforcement, if you will. And last, 12, is to exhibit high curiosity. High achievers are the kind of people who look at things and say, okay, well, how did that work? How did that get started? What did they, what did they have to assemble? How did they get over this hurdle? What makes it go? What, what sustains it? How come they were able to grow by 50%? So that high curiosity, getting behind the scene to find the answer, 
that the typical person doesn't even stop to consider is what separates the high achievers from everybody else. So there you have it. Everything we've discussed is within the capability of the typical listener. It's just a matter of putting it into practice. Thank you, Jeff Davidson. Tips from, for high achievers, to high achievers, and I think what you said at the end is so critical. This, uh, nothing you said is out of reach of someone who, who is listening to this. This isn't something you have to, oh, you have specialized knowledge. You should have gone to a certain university. You can do this.